Hey, buddy, what you doing? Is it Christmas yet? No, sorry, not yet. I can't wait for Christmas. Yeah, I can't wait for Christmas either. In fact, let's celebrate now. <laughs> Welcome to the Can't Wait for Christmas podcast. <laughs> it is February 25th, 2016. That means there's 10 months left until Christmas. On today's episode, we're going to talk about the animated film Polar Express. We're also going to count down the top five Christmas episodes of Doctor Who. And we're going to continue to try and figure out the definitive version of the song Jingle Bells as we continue with round two of the 2016 Jingle Brawl. Jingle Brawl. Jingle Brawl. Jingle Brawl. Is it going to echo every time I say it? You know what? Let's just start the show. It's Tim Babb. Welcome back to our little winter wonderland. It's almost the end of February and the Christmas lights are finally down, but we're going to keep our Christmas spirits up with an episode full of cheer. In fact, let's not waste any time. Let's get us started with a tip on how to bring a little of that festive atmosphere into your life any day of the year with our first segment, We Need a Little Christmas, now. We need a This refreshing idea came to me at a party I attended on Christmas Eve last year. As per usual at a Christmas party, there was plenty of beverages to choose from, but I noticed one I'd never seen before. Apparently the people who make Canada Dry Ginger Ale make a version with cranberry. Let me tell you, it's delicious. That little splash of cranberry is like a whole separate Christmas party broke out in your mouth. I assumed this was a seasonal item, so I decided to try and recreate it myself. All you have to do is take any regular ginger ale and add a splash of cranberry juice. Just a little bit, not too much, just a a wee bit, a soupçon. Because you add too much cranberry juice, it'll overpower the ginger ale taste. You may need to experiment a little to get the flavor ratio just how you like it, but it's totes worth it, as the kids say. The kids don't say that anymore, old man! Alright then. Side note, as I was making this episode, I googled cranberry ginger ale, and it turns out it's available now. So... I assume it's available all the time. So I guess if you want to do it the easy way, you can just go to the store and buy a bottle of cranberry ginger ale, but that seems like a boring tip, so I'm going to go ahead and stick with why not have some fun, try making it yourself. Now, it's time to move on to our countdown segment, Five Golden Things. Earlier this month here in the U.S., Doctor Who was taken down from all our streaming services like Netflix and Hulu. But I had promised in an earlier episode that I would do a top five list of my favorite Doctor Who Christmas episodes. So I spent most of the end of January binge-watching all the Christmas Who I could. Wait, not the Christmas Who's who live in Whoville. I meant, you know what I meant. However, just like the Grinch, the BBC stole the Who Christmas. So I felt kind of bad that after I do today's list, it's not like you can go watch any of these episodes. Well... Just before I started recording, the BBC's heart must have grown a few sizes because the Amazon Prime Twitter account announced that Who is coming back to streaming in March on Amazon Prime. It's a bit of a bummer it's not coming back to Netflix, but Amazon Prime is a great deal for shipping, and that's why I get it, so I recommend it, especially for us Christmas people who are going to be shipping gifts at the end of the year anyway. The movies, TV shows, and music is just a nice bonus. So, with that long backstory out of the way, let's get to the countdown of my favorite five Doctor Who Christmas episodes, starting with... Number five. The husband of River Song. Hello. You don't look much like your pictures. Well, that's an ongoing problem for me. Doesn't look very impressive, does he? Nardole, what have you brought to my doorstep? I've had a haircut. This is my best suit. It's not even a suit. 
Do I know you? You most certainly do not. And now that you've met me, you'll do your very best to forget me. Riva! Oi! Dr. Song to you. Sometimes professor, but mainly doctor. Don't use my name, ever. How do you know me? Well, it's a tiny bit complicated. People usually need a flowchart. It doesn't matter. <laughs> if either of you use my name again, I will remove your organs in alphabetical order. Any questions? Which alphabet? Starting off with the most recent Doctor Who Christmas special. Some may say it's too recent to be considered one of the five greatest specials, but this was just a fun episode. It features the return of the Doctor's wife, River Song, and it's great to see her interact with Peter Capaldi's Doctor. It's made especially fun by the fact that River doesn't recognize the Doctor because she's never seen this version of him before. It also dovetails very nicely into the previous mythology of the show. I would say more, but you know, spoilers! Number four. The Christmas Invasion. If I might interrupt. Yes, sorry. Hello, big fella. Who exactly are you? Well, that's the question. I demand to know who you are. I don't know. See, that's the thing. I'm a doctor, but beyond that, I, I just don't know. I literally do not know who I am. It's all untested. Am I funny? Am I sarcastic? Sexy? Vital misery, life and soul, right-handed, left-handed, a gambler, a fighter, a coward, a traitor, a liar, a nervous wreck. I mean, judging by the evidence, I've certainly got a goal. This was David Tennant's first full episode as the Doctor, but he spends most of it asleep. He's just regenerated and he needs to recover, but meanwhile there's an invasion of Earth happening and his companions have to figure out a way to get rid of the aliens without the Doctor. Now, of course, he wakes up at the end and we get to see David's very funny and also, at times, very menacing version of the Doctor. This was actually the first episode of Doctor Who I ever saw. When I started watching Doctor Who, it was only because I have a man crush on David Tennant. So I decided to skip the first season with Chris Eccleston. I call him Chris because we're super tight. And I started straight up with Tennant's first episode, this one. I did not like it. I guess I didn't get what was going on. And finally, my friends convinced me to watch the first season with Christopher Eccleston's run. And when the time came around to this episode again, I was totally on board. I appreciated it much more. And that's how it lands at number four on this list. Number three. The Next Doctor. Doctor! Don't worry. Stand back. Hold the door here. Okay, I've got it. And whatever's behind that door, I think you should get out of here. Doctor! Oh, I'm standing right here. Hello. Don't be stupid. Over here. I'm the doctor. Doctor O. Just the doctor. Well, they can't be two of you. Where have you been? Right then, don't worry. Stand back. What have we got here then? Hold on, hold on, who are you? I'm the doctor. Simply the doctor. The one, the only, and the best. Rosita, give me the sonic screwdriver. What? Now, quickly, get back to the TARDIS. What's the what? If you could stand back, sir, this is a job for a time lord. Job for a what, lord? When I was binge-watching all these episodes before they get pulled off Netflix, I ran across this one again, and I forgot how much I liked it. The Doctor lands in London on Christmas Eve in 1851 and meets... the future version of himself? The two Doctors must work together to stop an invasion by the Cybermen. I wonder if when it came out, did they really try to fool people into thinking the next Doctor was the next Doctor? I bet that would have given an extra layer of fun to the first viewing, but since I knew Matt Smith was the next Doctor and not this goofball, I never for a moment believed... Errors! Oh, sorry. Number two. The Runaway Bride. You're in space. Out of space. This is my... spaceship. It's called the TARDIS. How am I breathing? The TARDIS is protecting us. 
Who are you? I'm the doctor. You? Donna. Human? Yeah. Is that optional? Well, it is for me. How can this episode be number two on your list? When you did your top five Christmas special episodes, you said this was your favorite Doctor Who Christmas episode. You're absolutely right, imaginary listener that sounds like Kermit the Frog. I did say that. And this episode is still pretty great. The introduction of Donna, the banter between David Tennant and Catherine Tate, all the stuff I said in episode two of this podcast is still true about this episode. However, it turned out there was a Christmas episode of Doctor Who that I hadn't seen back when I recorded episode two of this podcast, and it is going to be my number one pick. But before we get to that, we got to get to Honorable Mentions. Who the jingle? A Christmas Carol and Voyage of the Damned. Sad that Matt Smith hasn't appeared on this countdown until the Honorable Mentions, and to top it off, he has to share this spot with a David Tennant episode. But for the most part, I like both of these episodes. However, they both suffer from the same problem, to me anyway. And not to spoil too much, but things don't end all that happily for the pretty blonde lady in either episode. For me, I like a happy Christmas episode, and that's why these guys are just honorable mentions and don't have a proper spot on the list. But, speaking of the list, let's get to... Number one! The Doctor, the Widow, and the Wardrobe. Who are you? I'm the caretaker. But you're not Mr. Card, you? I agree. But I don't understand. Are you the new caretaker? Usually called the Doctor, or the caretaker, or get off this planet. Though, strictly speaking, that probably isn't a name. Hello, Madge Arwell. Hello. Cyril Arwell and Lily Arwell. Now, come on, come on. Lots to see. Whistle, stop, talk. Take notes. There will be questions. Smaller sitting room, just chairs. A bit pointless without a television. So, I made some repairs. I know. Kitchen! That's a cooker, probably. And these are taps. Hot, cold, lemonade. Lemonade? I know. Staircase. Seems to have broken down. We'll have to walk up. I sleep up there. Stay awake. Beware of panthers. Panthers? They're terrifying. Have you never seen panthers? Cyril! Mum's bedroom. Grown up. Your basic boring. Lillian Cyril's room, I'm going to be honest, masterpiece, the ultimate bedroom. A sciencey, wincey workbench, a jungle, a maze, a window disguised as a mirror, a mirror disguised as a window, selection of torches for midnight feasts and secret reading, zen garden, mysterious cupboard, zone of tranquility, rubber wall, dream tank, exact model of the rest of the house, not quite to scale, apologies, dolls with comical expressions, the Magna Carta, a football, Cluedo, the yellow fort. Where are the beds? Well, I couldn't fit everything in. There had to be sacrifices. There you go, Matt Smith. You were absent from the countdown so far because we saved you the top spot. This story begins when a woman helps the doctor out of a rough but wacky situation. Then, a few years later, the doctor tries to return the favor when he learns that the woman and her two kids are having a rough time at Christmas. I don't want to give away too much about this one, but I love that mom character. I love that she's almost completely unaffected by encountering a time-traveling alien. She's tough, but she's not just like a caricature of Linda Hamilton from T2, which I think is the only way most Hollywood writers can write a tough, brave woman. But this was a great character and a great performance. The story is great. I... 
I really don't want to give away too much more. I think when it comes to Amazon Prime next month, you should definitely watch it. I know I will. Wait, hold on. Uh, hmm. It appears in the time it took me to go down this list, Amazon has deleted their tweet. So, I don't know for sure if Doctor Who is going to be on Amazon Prime in March. Only you in the future know. You should send a message back through time to me, and whatever you do, don't blink. Anyway, those are my five. Did I miss one of your favorites? Let me know in the comments at can'twaitforchristmaspod.com. Speaking of comments, it's time to open Santa Bab's mailbag. Santa Bab, he is gonna read some emails from you. Or tweets. Or Facebook messages to Santa Bab, he is opening up his mailbag tonight. First off, thank you for all the positive emails and comments about last month's episode. I was a little worried about it. I was trying something different, but I was very glad to see that you liked it. But one particular comment caught my eye, and it's from Miles, who says, I love the podcast. I have a reminder on my phone set for the 25th of each month to remind me to check out the show. By the way, the 25th of each month is Rudolph Day. If you've never heard of it, Google it to check out the details. Side note, I did Google it because I'd never heard of Rudolph Day before this, and from what I could find, it seems people observe Rudolph Day by planning a little bit for the upcoming Christmas on the 25th of each month. That's a pretty great idea. That way you don't let it all sneak up on you the week before Christmas. Anywho, back to Miles' comment. This month's podcast was the best one yet. Why, thank you very much. I'm certain that with each episode, they'll get even more polished. I cannot make that promise. Anyway, Miles goes on to say, Note to all you Christmas junkies like me, even though I consider Labor Day as the beginning of the holidays, the Annunciation to Mary of her being chosen to conceive, carry, and give birth to Jesus could be considered the beginning of the Christmas season. The Catholic Church recognizes April 4th this year as that date. However, 40 weeks, 280 days, is considered a full-term pregnancy, and I am certain that our Savior was neither early nor late, but perfectly on time. That being said, it would put the miraculous conception on March 20th, and so the Annunciation would have been before that. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that anything. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying anything against the Catholic Church. I dearly love all my fellow brother and sister Christians, regardless of denomination. I just wanted to point out that by March 20th, you can consider the Christmas season has begun. That is a great perspective, Miles. I love it. So by next month's episode, Mary will already be pregnant with Jesus. This could be a thing we start where we celebrate a second Christmas in the middle of the year. Some people already do this Christmas in July thing. What if we turn that into a celebration? of a baby shower for Mary. Corporations could totally get on board because you gotta give presents at a baby shower. Plus, it would have the added benefit of letting the folks down in places like Australia and New Zealand celebrate a Christmas-type holiday when it's actually cold and snowing for them. Because in Australia, it's summer during Christmas. But if we celebrate a Mary's baby shower Christmas in July type of thing, they could have a winter wonderland while it's actually winter. Somebody call Hallmark. We need to make this a thing. We're not calling Hallmark. Fair enough. Let's move on to today's feature. All aboard! Well, you coming? Where? Why, to the North Pole, of course! This is the Polar Express! Today we're going to talk about the film Polar Express. But before we get started, I'm going to toss it over to the Can't Wait for Christmas screening room where I am standing by. Take it away, Tim. Thanks, Tim. I'm here in the screening room because despite being a huge Christmas fanatic and having a kid and a father who love trains, I have never seen Polar Express. As you know, I'm a huge Disney fan, but back in 2004 when this came out, I was fiercely brand loyal. It took a lot to get me to go see an animated movie that wasn't Disney, and Polar Express did not make the cut. However, I'm going to rectify this right now. 
I'm going to watch the movie and write my reactions to it. While I'm doing that, I'm going to throw it back up to the podcast booth where I'm waiting to tell you a little bit more about the behind the scenes of Polar Express. Tim? Thanks, Tim. Happy viewing. So, in order to keep his viewing pure, Theater Tim has not looked up any facts about the movie before he watches it. So, it's up to me, Podcaster Tim, to keep things on the right track. Ha ha ha! Nailed it! No, no, no. Shouldn't you be on vacation or something? Anyway, the movie Polar Express was based on the 1985 book of the same name by Chris Van Ellsberg. It follows the same story of a little boy on Christmas Eve who's not quite so sure if Santa Claus is real anymore when, all of a sudden, a magical train shows up outside his door and he gets on and the train takes him to the North Pole. The book wasn't initially a huge success, but with each passing Christmas, more and more people discovered the book and loved it. One of those people was Academy Award-winning actor Tom Hanks. When the voice of Woody from Toy Story likes your book, you know you've hit the big time, baby. Tom convinced Chris to trust him with the movie rights to his book, and Tom immediately turned to his friend and director who'd worked with twice before on Forrest Gump and Castaway, Robert Zemeckis. When they sat down to plot out how to turn Van Ellsberg's book into a movie, they decided they couldn't do it proper justice in live action, but they wanted to do something different than a traditional animated movie. That's when Zemeckis turned to his longtime visual effects collaborator in films like Who Framed Roger Rabbit and the Back to the Future trilogy, Ken Ralston. Somehow this group of people decided the only way to make this movie was to do the hardest thing possible, create the first ever full-length motion capture movie. These days, we mostly know motion capture as the way they insert Andy Serkis's Gollum character into those Hobbit movies. What happens is the actors wear these special suits that kind of look like wetsuits, and then their faces are covered in these tiny little balls, and they are filmed acting out the scenes with no sets and minimal props. This footage is then put in the computer and turned into a wire frame or skeleton of the character, which the animators can then wrap a character design around and create a full performance. It's a challenging enough process when it's just one digital character being inserted to a scene with other live actors. But for this, every character was created with motion capture. This was made even more challenging, seeing as Tom Hanks ended up playing five different parts. Just speaking that description of what they went through to make this movie makes me tired. There is no way I would attempt something this complex. But not only did Zemeckis and crew attempt it, they succeeded in turning Polar Express into a classic movie like nothing that had come before. I don't like the look of this. Quick, under the safety bar. Is, every, is everything all right? What should we do? Well, considering the fact that we have lost communication with the engineer, We are standing totally exposed on the front of the locomotive. The train appears to be accelerating uncontrollably, and we are rapidly approaching Glacier Gulch, which just happens to be the steepest downhill grade in the world. I suggest we all hold on tightly! However, as seems to be the case with a lot of Christmas movies, Polar Express wasn't really a big success at the time it was released. In fact, it had a budget of $165 million and worldwide gross of only $307 million. I know only and $307 million doesn't sound like it goes together, but a rule in Hollywood is you gotta make back twice your budget just to break even. So you could really call this a flop. In fact, some people called it way worse than that. There's a phenomenon known as the uncanny valley, and that's when you have an artificial human character that looks fairly realistic but is off in some slight way. This phenomenon can really creep people out, and unfortunately, the Polar Express made several unscheduled stops in the uncanny valley. Many critics weren't kind. One said, these new digital characters look stiff and spooky, like a wax museum dummy that you could swear just moved. Another said, My first response was that I had just seen the world's first Christmas horror movie. Another just called it a train wreck of mind-numbing proportions. Ouch! But, 
Much like the book, the film began to grow on people. When it premiered on ABC a couple years later, it was the most watched program in its time slot. The AFI picked Polar Express as one of the top 50 animated films of all time, and the film was nominated for three Oscars, including the film's big song, Believe, by Josh Groban. The big question is, what did Theater Tim think of the movie? Even though there's no earthly way he could have watched it in the short time I've been talking, somehow he did. So let's check out with him now. How was the movie, Tim? Well, Tim, it was pretty good. I definitely see what the complaints about the creepy factor were, but the rest of the visuals were, I think, really good. Here are the notes I took while watching the movie. Now, these are just sort of my thoughts as the movie was going on. So it's, I don't really describe the plot. I just describe what I'm seeing at that moment. It's just a little window into my brain at certain points in the movie. And they go in chronological order. So it starts at the beginning of the film and goes till the end of the film. All right. That's enough disclaimers. Here are my notes. Oh, first shot of the kid opening his eyes is creepy. But I would say this animation is still quite impressive for something that happened over a decade ago. Do we really need another Christmas movie about a kid having a crisis of faith about Santa Claus? Didn't Miracle on 34th Street kind of sew this all up? Yeah, a mysterious train appears outside my window at 11 at night. The first thing I'm going to do is run outside in the snow and hop on. Wait, Tom Hanks is the adult version of this kid, the kid's father, and the conductor? Hey, the train is leaving without the kid! This is going to be a short movie? Oh, he got on. I don't care how uncanny this valley is, Tom Hanks is pure charm. I think this annoying kid with glasses who keeps yammering on about facts that he clearly just looked up and memorized to regurgitate later reminds me of somebody. Can't put my finger on it, though. Wow, there is a lot of peril involved for this kid. This is one heck of a train ride. Hey, the kid pulled the whistle and said the same thing Doc Brown said in Back to the Future Part 3. That's also a Robert Zemeckis film. I love being a nerd. Okay. The device of someone dropping something out of their hand and then spending the next two minutes of screen time letting it slip right through their fingers is getting old. I think it's happened like six times already. Just hold on to your stuff, people! Alan Silvestri is one of my favorite film composers. Yeah, I said it. I stand by it. Why is this random kid in the back of the train by himself? Wait, this isn't a prequel to Snowpiercer, is it? I don't think my heart could take it. Before the train arrived, the kid's clock stopped. Alright, before the train arrived, the kid's clock... Alright, before the train arrived, the kid's clock stopped. But Tom Hanks won't shut up about being late. Either you can stop time, or you can't stop time. Pick a side, we're at war. Ooh, sorry, haven't written notes in a while. I am invested! How are these kids gonna get back to the North Pole Town Square? Is that Elf Charles Flesher? The voice of Roger Rabbit? I met him at a film festival once. Okay, Santa looks creepy. Santa is doing an awful lot of just flying around in circles for someone who's supposedly late. Whoa! He just disappeared! Is there a flux capacitor on that sleigh? Eee! Well, Steven Tyler elf is still less creepy looking than the actual Steven Tyler. So you gotta give the animators credit for that. Come on! At least! Wait, how are these kids gonna keep in touch? Do they exchange emails or Facebooks? Anything? Wait, he doesn't tell his little sister about the trip he took to the North Pole? I thought the whole reason he wanted that bell was to give to his sister to make up for introducing to her the kernel of doubt about Santa Claus. Alright, credits. Hey, I was right. That was Charles Flesher. Well, all in all, that was a fun movie. I'm just a little sad that the ending I made up in my own head I like better than the actual ending, but what are you going to do?
And that's going to wrap up our look at Polar Express. While we pull this segment back into the station house, you better get yourself a ringside seat because it's time for round two of the Jingle Brawl. We're spending 2016 trying to pick the definitive version of the song Jingle Bells. So today, 10 versions of the song are going head to head. Well, head to head to head to head to head to head to head. You get the idea. You're going to pick which one goes forward to the next round. Let's hear a little bit of each artist's version of the song right now. Andy Williams. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride in one or so free sleigh. The Henry Mancini Orchestra and Chorus. Jingle bells, jingle a lingo jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride in one horse open sleigh. Edison Mail Quartet. The Alan Jackson. Bells on bobtails ring, making spirits bright. What fun it is to ride and sing a sleighing song tonight. Face Hunter. Lisa Lowe. Denver. Down the road we go, through the woods we ride, freeze all decked with snow, sweethearts by our side. Skid Row. Sammy Davis Jr. Jing, jing, jingle in the morning, jingle all the way. Andrea Pacelli featuring the Muppets. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh. You can hear the full versions of each song and vote for your favorite at can'twaitforchristmaspod.com. You can vote once a day, every day, until the poll closes on March 20th, 2016. So vote wisely and vote often, because only you can decide who will win the 2016 Jingle Jingle Ball! That's about it for this episode. I'm going to go eat the last of my leftover pixie stick candy canes. But as always, I'd like to thank you for swimming with me in the lake of Christmas joy until our fingers get all pruny. If you've got a question or a comment for Santa Bab's mailbag, you can email me at christmas at tancast.com. Also, remember to vote in the Jingle Brawl. It's the most important thing you'll vote on this year. Am I right? Am I right? No politics, man. Just end the show. All right. My bad. Well, until we meet again, keep your halls decked, your apparel gay, and your head heedless of the wind and weather. But most importantly, keep laughing all the way. (laughs) 
was Christmas 1983. Actually, Dad, it's 2016. Oh. Ho, ho, ho. Thank you for listening to the Can't Wait for Christmas podcast. If you have any comments on this or any episode, feel free to leave them at our website, can'twaitforchristmaspod.com. While you're there, you could also find our iTunes link where you can subscribe and write us a review. A five-star one, if you're so inclined. <laughs> You'll also find a link to our official Zazzle store, where you can find all sorts of customizable Christmas merchandise. You'll also find a link to our Facebook fan page and our Twitter feed. And if you want to email us directly, we can always be reached at christmas at tancast.com. The Can't Wait for Christmas podcast is part of the Tancast Podcast Network. We wish you a Merry Christmas was performed by the United States Marine Corps Band. And this wonderful version of Jingle Bells on the Accordion was performed Formed by the amazing Kristen Norwicky. All other music and sound effects are properties of their individual copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. All right, I think that's the end of this show. I can't think of anything else to add. How about you, boys? God bless us, everyone. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Hello. And welcome to Christmas Phone. If you know the name of the podcast you'd like to record, press 1 now. Beep! You have selected Can't Wait for Christmas Pod. Rated A for awesome! (laughs) I'm getting over some some sort of chest ailment. And that is going to mean i got to edit out a lot of coughing from this week's episode. Whee! Where'd I put my Coke? Because, you know, when you're standing in a cold garage, what you need is an icy cold soda beverage. It is February 25th, 2016. That means there's ten months left till Christmas. On today's episode, we're going to talk about the Polar Express movie. Yep, that's what we're going to do. This was David's ten... This was David... This was David's hand this with my tongue revolting against me, and I've only finished one segment. Uh, one particular comment caught my why. <laughs> my why? My why! <laughs> While I'm doing that, I'm going to throw it back up to the podcast booth where I'm waiting to tell you a little bit more about the behind-the-scenes of Polar Express. Tim? <laughs> I'm joking to death. <laughs> oh, throw it back to the theater. I can't. I don't have any more lines. Oh, no. Give me a drink of Coke. Yeah, that can't possibly go bad. <sighs> this Coke has a little Santa on it because I saved a bunch of Santa Cokes to save to drink throughout the year. Do I have a problem? Perhaps. Am I concerned about it? Not remotely. Anyway, the movie Polar Express was based on the 1985 book of the same name. Anyway, the movie. <laughs> anyway, the movie Polar Express was based on the 1985 book of the same name. Ma- the same name. The same name. I'm never going to finish this. Ever. It's going to be actually Christmas before I finish the February episode. Let's hear a little bit of each artist's version of the song right now. And now I've got to look up their names because I don't remember them. Because there's ten of them and I don't remember the order. Where's my mouse? There it is. Clickety-click. <laughs> 